how did you even do that in the 90s with your 486 computer? I mean, how did you uh, get your phones? Phones, okay. Everything, that's, that's, everything was on phones. Like, you'd have a big phone with 20 speed dials. Yep. And then, see, in the old days, like, if I wanted to wipe out six bids, I'd take two phones, my partner would take two phones, and the guy on the other side of me would take two phones and we'd go, one, two, three, ready, and we'd all hit six market makers instantaneously to wipe out their bids. Oh, my right? God. Or to lift their offers to clean out their inventory. You're listening to the Steady Trade Podcast, a podcast that inspires traders to make meaningful strides and pursue their passions. Your hosts are Tim Bowen, the lead trainer at Stocks to Trade Pro, Kim Ann Curtin, the Wall Street coach, and Steven Johnson, the up-and-coming trader who's always willing to learn. Together, we'll sit down with experts to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned, and discuss how all traders can level up their trading careers. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Steady Trade Podcast. Today is going to be an interesting one, I promise. Uh, we have JJ Gorilla. That is his uh, kind of pseudonym for the world. And you'll see that he actually has an avatar up because he isn't able to show his face. And he's going to explain a little bit about that. Uh, but I'm going to just tell you, uh, I just got to meet JJ about two or three months ago, I think. Right, JJ? Uh, on the so, yeah. yeah. Ray from Confessions of a Market Maker uh, is a co-host with JJ. And so we got to meet then. He has a fascinating story. And one of the things that I hear all the time, Tim Bowen and Stephen uh, talk about is the concept of how there is this day that you're up against as a day trader. And one of the things I learned from JJ getting to know him is that he used to be one of the, the days. And I thought, oh, this is great. We can kind of learn from the other side what a lot of day traders are up against. So JJ is a former nightclub bouncer, believe it or not. And it was in the nightclubs where he met traders and deal makers. And that's how he got in the industry. Uh, he, you know, saw them spending lots of cash and was like, Hey, what, what are they up to? Uh, and so he basically, uh, worked in Vancouver as a market maker and, uh, he manipulated penny stocks, deals that uh, retail traders love to trade. He's been at it for 20 years, and he has had, you know, lots of ups, but he's also had some downs, which he'll talk about. Uh, he did have some partners that stole from him, uh, but after having a heart attack in the 40s, uh, where he technically died, actually, which has got to be an interesting story. Can't wait to hear that, JJ. Uh, he decided to leave the industry in that context. And uh, now he actually helps retail traders by educating them on the very tricks he used to pull on them and how to watch out for them. Uh, and now, of course, he's a co-host of Confessions of a Market Maker podcast, and he's also a training educator for MicroFutures. So welcome, JJ, to our podcast. Thank you so much, Kim. It's an honor to be here. Mahalo. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And JJ, JJ's got some uh, Hawaiian in him. So oh, we, okay. okay. We're very, we're very fortunate to, to be able to share some of the love of Hawaii. So JJ, you know, that's not really your full bio. It's the short, you know, cliff <laughs> note version. So please just give us a little bit of background on why you have to sure. have an avatar. 
Well, um, oddly enough, I, I'm, I'm one of the guys that nobody really hears about in the market. I'm sort of the guy who um, helps uh, people get things done um, and to make large amounts of money. And so what my job was to help create liquidity to sell uh, vast amounts of uh, cheap stock into by promoters, deal people, people who did convertible debentures. Um, I started off in advertising and I, I was working as a bouncer because I had four years in microbiology and there was no way I was gonna get into med school. So I was working as a bouncer uh, in Vancouver. A bunch of the traders used to come in because next door there was a strip club and when that place closed, <laughs> the, girls, the girls would come and dance at my nightclub. And uh, so of course traders, you know, they, they're like, uh, they follow. And uh, one of them gave me a book called Liar's Poker by Michael Lewis, and I was hooked. And um, I was completely hooked, but then I didn't know anything about the market. So what I did was I read Market Wizards. Now, JJ, sorry, I'm the king of interruption. Do you mind just giving me timeline? Because again, like, you know, just kind of, I'm curious when this was happening. This was 1990, yeah. Fair enough, Uh, thanks. When I was was a doorman, it was a a nightclub called uh, The Love Affair in Vancouver. It was a popular, it was like one of those dark holes with music so loud that you had to wear earplugs because the floors would vibrate because it was so loud. (laughs) Oh my God. You know, they played like Nine Inch Nails and Ministry and stuff like that. Oh, I have ministry you know, i forgot about them you know <laughs> so i would i'd be at the i'd be did, at the front did of the ministry co- do jesus built my hot rod i think so I yes think so. yeah I think so. yeah <laughs> right guys, you, you guys are talking about a different era i'm not sure what's going on here <laughs> <laughs> we'll share. i'm we'll like share. lost in the conversation i'm sorry i'm late <laughs> link didn't work and then you talk about things i don't even know <laughs> that's okay <laughs> So one of the traders gave me this book. I read it. I was hooked. Uh, then I read Market Wizards by Jack Schweiger, who was on our podcast just last night. And Linda Ratchke, Linda Bradford Ratchke, uh, said how she got a job in the market was she got a job next to the exchange so she could meet people. So I said, works for her, works for me. I went and got a government job, hung out at a coffee shop where the stock promoters would go until one of them finally noticed me reading the Wall Street Journal, came up to me. And offered me a job as a phone chimp, uh, and a phone chimp is the person who calls uh, leads and asks them if they want information. Then a closer calls and gets them to buy a position. So I used to work for the government, worked with these guys at night, um, and this little guy who hired me was a little East Indian guy. I'm East Indian. Oh, I'm Sri Lankan, but I'm like six one two seventy. So uh, this little guy was was about five foot two. Used to wear black suits with cowboy boots, drove a black Rolls. And his assistant was the six foot one blonde from the Netherlands. They looked like Boris and Natasha. From <laughs> right. Don't worry. And um, so he taught me the business uh, a little bit. And then he got me my job working for the company that made the leads. And that's where I got introduced to about th- 300 public companies, uh, promoters, deal people, guys who ran hedge funds, um, all the people who used to work at, um, Jordan Belfort's firm, who now were stock promoters, all of those people were my clients. And so when I went, showed up to a brokerage house, which I got the job because one of my buddies was dating the head trader of the brokerage firm, I I weaseled my way in, right? Because I applied to all the brokerage firms in Vancouver and I got got a PFO letter from every single one of them, which is a please F off. (laughs) And um, so I, I had to weasel my way in just by doing favors, 
uh, stuff like that. And then one day this guy, uh, Dominic called me up and he said, Hey, hey JJ, do you want a job? There's an opening on the desk. And I showed up with, to the firm with 300 clients already who did nothing but liquidate stock wow. at three and a half percent commission. So I was hired on the spot and uh, I didn't even know how to trade. Wow. Didn't know a single, you know, I was a sales. Because well, at that point you're, you're basically yeah. just a telemarketer, right? Right. Yeah. I was just doing that and uh, you know, working what I was doing, we were doing direct mail. So I learned about how to bring liquidity into markets. This was before email. And in fact, the very first email stock tout was a client of mine, oh, the guy who did the very first email stock blast back in 1997, 6, wow. 96, 97. So uh, that's why I was obsessed with liquidity, building it. So I went to work on the trade desk and I was in the top 10 within the first two months because my commissions were, you know, first month I made 10 grand, 65 grand, the second month, and then 200 grand like clockwork every month <laughs> after that. Because uh, I'm charging three, f- three to five percent. We also had 13 day settlement in Vancouver. So what you do is you open 50 brokerage accounts, wash trade between them to create the illusion of activity. Then retail jumps in and you slam them. So, so can you know? I I get that, but you know, a lot of newer traders yeah are, are on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> I, explain, get into the mechanics of that a little bit sure. more. I mean, you know, because exactly. you're you're basically creating fake volume in essence to make See, it show up on people's radar yeah all, exactly all of trading is about supply demand is artificially created and there's two types of buying there's real buying for investment purposes and then there's buying like you see in our markets which is buying to move a market up to sell a position that you've bought at a cheaper price um, there is an element to the U.S. capital markets which is the wholesale market making side they take the other side of our trades and provide us liquidity So what I would do was I would have, say, 50 million shares of stock between 20 or 30 different accounts, all offshore. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then what we'd do is we'd pay one of these, um, you know, like one of these, uh, you know, touty trader rooms, you know, we'd wire them 75 grand to their offshore account and they'd tell all their traders to come in and buy the stock. So when they did that, what I would do is I would fill them. <laughs> so what happened was there was a market maker called Knight Securities and then Schwab. Uh, Knight got bought by Virtue um, and Knight was the big animal in the house and they got 90% of the order flow. So E-Trade, Ameritrade, TD, uh, Scott Trade, all of those places routed to Knight. So I'd call my guys at night and I'd go, listen, ABCD, show me bids. And what I would do is I would manipulate all the market makers on a level two to, it was like sort of my chessboard. So I'd move all the market makers around with my orders because I was the only one who had supply. Right. <laughs> right. So Knight would call me, it would be a dollar bid. He'd go, JJ, I can pay the bid for 200,000 shares. So I'd sell him 200,000 shares at 97 cents and he'd make six grand for picking up the phone for calling me for a 10 second phone call. Right. I would charge 4% on that trade of the dollar volume, the dollar value of that trade. And that's how we made money. And the promoter who got the stock for free didn't care about price, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of traders don't understand is when there is outside supply in the market, it doesn't care about price. It's looking for liquidity. Right. Um, for, if I have 5 million shares to sell and it's $5 bid, and I see a bid for three at three bucks for 500,000 shares, I'm hitting that bid and I will go right through you to get to it. Right. 
Um, so that's what I did. I, I, you know, I would move market makers around. Uh, they, I would pay them. Um, you know, retail trading is all about discipline and homework and stuff like that. On the other side, it's about doing favors, extortion, blackmail. Uh, that's how you get work done. But what happens is, you know, if you have 200, 300 million shares, I open the stock at five cents. I'll move it up to two, three bucks, and then we'll start selling her down. You get 50 cents for 100 million shares. That's not a bad three weeks work, right? Not a bad, not a bad payday. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you don't pay taxes on it. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so, my first client was a Swiss bank. Um, so all my clients were either Swiss banks, stuff out of the Cayman Islands. And the reason I don't show my face is a lot of my clients are still alive. And some of them are, I mean, I traded for some pretty extremely wealthy people, uh, ex-CIA spooks, uh, arms dealers, things like that. Um, you know, I would do short squeezes. That was my specialty, uh, is how to engineer and manipulate a short squeeze. I once took a stock from 30 cents to $300. Beautiful. <laughs> um, I once held a NASDAQ 30, $30 stock at 90 RSI for three months. Um, things like that. So I would engineer. So I don't show my face because I'm not really supposed to be talking about this because my business cards used to say my, your secrets die with me. But, <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> right. So, uh, but after I, meeting retail traders, I just, it just made me sick to see how people are losing money because they don't understand the business. And I was like, okay, you know what? Um, you know, I, I've, I've taken enough. Maybe it's time to give something back. And nobody really talks about the stuff I do. So it's, um, I find that really odd because I've never really looked into the retail trading community until the last couple of years. And um, I thought, you know, at least if I can tell these people what's going on at, mm -hmm. you know, what time of the day these guys are doing this type of business, you know, maybe I can help some people, you know, at least make some money or at least not blow up their accounts, you know. And, and I guess, you know, so, so now we'll kind of get through the timeline and then I'm sure, sure we'll have plenty of, of, of discussion. So this is the nineties, you're doing that kind of what changed, why did you leave or, or, you know, or, 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 or you know, kind, of, <laughs> kind of, kind of give us the full, the rest of the story arc. I guess. Well, yeah. so. uh, there was, uh, I, uh, one of the clients that I was trading for was a really snaky dude. He looked like Walter Matthau. And uh, one day I had the flu. We were doing a short squeeze and I had taken the stock from 25 cents to 25 bucks. And um, what we were doing, it was using- That's the kind something... of stock Steven loves to short. He loves to right? short. Exactly. Oh, well, I've, I've learned know. to keep out of them because I see what these people do. And I see what you guys do and I see how manipulated it is. It's unbelievable. We've got well, to play your game. Yeah. I mean, on, there, there's lots of, there's lots of normal shorts that you can take when there's supply. But a lot of these times what I'll do is I'll restrict supply. So I'll have a short position that's bigger than the float. Um, and um, there's a way to do that. There's, there's something, there's, there's a, a plumbing that exists underneath the stock market called clearing and settlement which not a lot of people pay attention to, but that's how you make big money by paying attention to all those little details. Uh, most people, for example, don't know that when they own a stock in their brokerage account, they don't actually own it. Um, it's owned by Seed and Company, which is the nominee for DTC. So they don't even know that they don't own the stock. They just have a legal agreement with the brokerage firm who has a legal agreement with Seed and Company and their transfer agent. 
or they're clearing. So a lot of these things people don't understand, but those things in the system you manipulate, like I would always do short squeezes at the end of the month because market makers don't sell a lot at the end of the month short because they don't want to be offside because they don't get paid. So they'll back away from offers. Why do you think stocks run at the end of the month? Right? <laughs> right? There's tactical things. Everything we do is tactical. We have a plan, we have agenda, and we carry out that plan. And um, so I was doing this happily, having a great time. This client like Walter Matthau, we were uh, doing a short squeeze. I got the flu and my stupid partner let this guy trade in excess of the account. And what he did was he took $7 million out of the prime broker at Manufacturers Trust and uh, not Manufacturers Trust, uh, M&T uh, Bank. And what they did is we had uh, DVP accounts and they stuck us with the buys and they grabbed the sells at 25 bucks. And I was left with a $700,000 debit. Shit. So the only time I've ever lost money trading is when your client screws you because <laughs> that's, that's what happens. So I, there was another broker uh, who was doing really well. He was doing, he was doing about five, 6 million a month. And he said, listen, I need you to come run my trading room. Uh, it's out of t it's out of the city, but I won't take any of your commissions and you'll be able to pay off your debt quicker. So I did. And I went to work for a guy who we traded for uh, the number one guy from Stratton Oakmont. Um, the, you know, one of the brokers from um, Wolf of Wall Street. I was going to say, that was, that was one of Belfort's, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was one of Jordan's. <laughs> and, and most of Jordan's brokers were, were stock promoters because they said, Belfort said, you know, 50 million in a year. These guys were like, well, why just do my own deal, sell my own stock? I'll make 50 million in a week, right? So what these guys did was they put deals together. I traded them out. Um, some of the really heavy duty criminal ones um, see back in the day, you didn't even need ID to open an account. Oh, really? So there, yeah, you would have all of these fake accounts. One guy who ran probably through my boss, he ran at least half a million dollars of commission a month through my boss. All we knew was his name was Florida. <laughs> right wow. now, is this, is this unique to Vancouver or was this like, or is, or is this, is this still going on today or no, 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 no. I was going to say, say all, yeah. Now, you know, the, they've regulated the brokerage industry so much, but I mean, when I got into it, it was the nineties and it was still wild west. Okay. Um, yeah. We had paper tickets, um, you know, everything was everything. My job was to look at the rules and figure a way around them without <laughs> getting us arrested. Yeah. So, you know, we reminds would, me, reminds me of days of thunder. The, the Tom Cruise, it, the NASCAR yeah. movie, you know. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like it's 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 your job to catch me, man. When yeah, the racing cars. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> and we were just, um, it, it was a great time because you know, we're, you know, you're in your twenties and you're you're making two hundred grand a month. My market makers were making four or five million a month, right? So if I was retail trading and I lost twenty grand, I'd just call up somebody and go, "Hey, can you put up twenty for me?" And they'd take it. So they'd take the bad trade off of me. That's not a good habit as a retail trader, right? Sure. <laughs> because you don't, you know, you can always get some, or you can stuff it in a client account that owes you money or something, right? Yeah. So we had a lot of bad habits that way. And what was going on was there was a client of, of this guy, my boss, and we'll call him T-Bone. And um, the client, 
um, was using fake ID to open accounts. And he ran a deal, a massive deal, where they had enough money to actually advertise on CNBC. This thing was trading millions and millions of dollars worth of dollar volume every day. It was trading like a NASDAQ deal on the OTCBB, which was pink sheets at the time. And I kept saying to the compliance officer, uh, who was a young guy that we used to bribe, um, because um, <laughs> I love you know, that your compliance guy takes bribes. <laughs> oh yeah, because he just he, his sister had a, an account, and we just run trades through his sister's account. I, I, know, bet like, like, I bet he got like I bet he won the best compliance officer award. Every oh yeah, month. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, hey, your sister made five grand. Click right, and uh, we just run flips through his account, and uh, we used to call him Radio Rahim. And radio, um, you know, I kept telling radio, I go, man, this, there's a lot of money going through this office, man. There's something, are you sure everything's okay? And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, cause most brokers were making two, 300 grand a month. My boss was making 6 million a month. Right. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I don't know, man. And I go, these deals are, they're trading so much dollar volume. And this is before like awesome penny stocks and, and those guys. Um, and you know, so trading 20, $30 million worth of paper in a day was quite an accomplishment. And I was mm. like, oh man, I, I just like, um, you know, um, you, we, we lost you for about 10 seconds yeah. there. Are you there? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You just dropped out yeah. for a second. Oh, sorry. Uh, so that was, that was radio Raheem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That was radio Raheem. <laughs> Make sure you get get your tinfoil hat. Yeah. <laughs> he hears you now. He hears yeah. you now, JJ. Yeah. <laughs> he hears me now. What, JJ, what do you think is the most important thing, though, that the traders, the retail traders now need to watch out for? Um, well, you know, they, they, they think... Um, they need to know the business. Mm. Uh, you know, they need to understand um, what's going on in the business and how it pertains to them. Um, the biggest mistake I see people doing is shorting when there's no supply mm. um, and going after those kind of sexy stocks when you know, like Ray, who's been on your podcast, I mean, he'll come up with something like a nine EMA scan where they can just take a nice, easy trade and, and just, you know, hug the EMA and everything will be okay. Right. Um, you know, um, so it's just, it's that, uh, it's that feeling I get that so much of the trading information is wrong out there. Mm. Uh, and I hate to say it, but I've done over, I've taken 200 companies public yeah. uh, and I've traded billions of dollars in dollar volume. And I've done things that it's like, honestly, just that are just absolutely, I mean, selling stock to Germany, selling, I've done all of that. I, you know, yeah. so I, I look at the way people are, are trading and they're like, you see people doing things like shorting Tesla when you look, all you need to do is look at the float, look who owns it and realize that they're not selling it for 20 years. Why would you short it? There's no supply, mm. right? People, the, the thing is 
they've overcomplicated trading so much that people forget that all this stuff happened, started under a tree 300 years ago. <laughs> and we were so smelly, they wouldn't even let us, they wouldn't even let us, you know, into a building. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I grew up with the kind of guys that were street smart. The first time I went to the New York Stock Exchange and met floor traders there, there were guys from Staten Island, Jersey. Oh, they yeah. They didn't have PhDs. No. They weren't from Wharton. None they were of street them smart. Totally. Right. So I, I see a, so much a tendency to overcomplicate trading. Mm-hmm. And trading is all about supply. If there's no outside supply, then it's just inside supply, which is moved back and forth by wholesale because that's their business model, right? They take it up, sell it to us. When we get yeah. tired of holding it, they take it down, buy it back. And they, they'll take a market up and hold it up to sell what they bought cheaper. And nobody understands that, mm. right? And if you understood that, then you wouldn't be shorting when they're moving the market up, right? You'd it's, be it's just like, going with it, right? Is there like a website though that's like, do not show this. The supply has been removed. Like, is there a website that just tells us this or what? No, it's just a little common sense. Here's the thing. There's a very secretive website. Nobody's ever heard of it. It's called Yahoo Finance. <laughs> <laughs> On there, you can go in and type in a stock and it'll tell you statistics. It'll tell you what the structure is. Yep. Most people are trading stock. They don't even know what structure is. When you take a company public, it is structured in a way there's an outstanding, there's an issued, and there's a float. And in that float, you have to see who owns that float, because it's all about who owns the marbles. Mm. It doesn't it doesn't matter. You know, Bailey Gifford owns a huge position in Tesla. Their time frame to hold an investment is 20, 30 years. Mm. They think that stock's going to 10,000. So Why the hell would they sell it at 600 bucks? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So there's no supply, right? Mm-hmm. People get so involved in indicators and, and this and that and sunspots and, you know, bulls holding flags. I don't know how they do. They have hooves. There's no <laughs> retractable thumbs. I, you know, I don't, I don't get all of this stuff. I don't even use candles. I use market profile because it shows me where the position is. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and thank God I learned that because, I mean, I used to build candles, but I, I don't trade them at all. And that's not taking anything away, but wouldn't you want to trade and not and actually understand the business? Mm-hmm. And instead of thinking about what could, should happen, news, this, that. Listen, I used to write news releases when the CEOs are too drunk or when you can't find them after you've given them $2 million and they go on a bender. Right. So I was the guy who wrote the news releases. Why the hell would I read anything that, you know, or, or trust that? Right. It's all that, that's all advertising. Like when they take a yeah. stock up in the pre-market, that's advertising to get you to come. Exactly. Yep. Right. <laughs> Just like when I was a bouncer, you open the club at nine at 11, you start a lineup, even if the club is empty. Why? Because people <laughs> will go stand in line. People will always chase price. You get them to chase it. In the pre-open. And here's the thing. People, deal guys know this, but most retail traders don't know that you can move a market up a lot pre-open because market makers don't have to make good on the minimum. So you can call them and you can tell them to move away and they'll okay. back away. So that you're doing them a favor, right? So they pull their offers. You open on a gap, retail comes in and that's buying that you've created. And then you sell it to them. 
Yep. Right. You you take markets up to create demand, and then you introduce supply. And that that's why you have a market. It's just like Walmart, except instead of toasters, we're selling you worthless paper. Sure, exactly. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Steven, so like, did you have a question? Yeah, yeah, actually, Steven, I thought yeah. Steven, I forgot, sorry. And I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'd say I'm blown away, but I kind of knew it happened, but I just didn't know that it was like this just big club and everyone's just getting super rich. I thought, it, I thought it was on a smaller scale, and I didn't realize it was so people were so like brash about it, and just people made a lot of money. I mean, I feel sorry for for us retail traders, but. I mean, I, I don't know what to ask. It's kind of like just, again, I mean, we just, as traders, we just cut losses quickly. If something looks sketchy, if something looks amiss, mm-hmm. we just try and guess what the market makers are doing and just, and just. It's, and the thing is, it's really not that complicated. It's just that nobody takes the time to learn because nobody ever talks about what I talk about. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it's never discussed. Um, because whole... nobody wants to walk away from that kind of money, JJ. Like, who wants to explain <laughs> the secret sauce? It's like the secret right. sauce. What, what's it's in there? Secret, what's right? in their yeah. benefit? Like, I mean, you have a, I, I, a decency. He, so here, here's my yourself. question. You, you know, and, and I, I 100% agree with you. But, you know, like, like, let's say the listener out there, mm-hmm. where, where do they go to learn this? Versus, okay. you know, do they do they go to the strip club at three a.m. and look no, for no, 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 and, no. and try and get a job? <laughs> no, no, no. Here's the thing: there are there are people and books who have educated. Those books and people are not okay. Well, there's reminiscence of a stock operator, which I Love have. Yep. I've given out fifty copies of that at least. Wow. Uh, I have a copy in my phone in my car. Wow. It's like the Bible. I carry it around because every <laughs> month I reread it wow. and I find stuff he talked about that still takes place now. Wow. There's a book written in 1874 by a man called William Worthington Fowler that describes all of the operations of Vanderbilt, Morgan, all of these big manipulators. This has been going on since time began. U.S. Steel, the very first billion dollar public company, Right. Morgan took it public with Carnegie and Schwab. But in the end, they needed to hire James R. Keene to make a market to dispose of half a billion dollars worth of paper. Right. You need to create a market to sell size into. That is what the markets are all about. Um, And I teach this every day and not to tell it my thing, but I what I like to do is I like to tell people, look, this is the common sense. This is the business. This is when we trade. This is when we don't. This is what we look for, right? And when it's not doing that, just chill, right? Uh, I like retail trading because I find it relaxing compared to what I do. Because I used to have to manipulate 20, 30 different stocks at the same time. So I'd have 30 level tools up 50, on screens. With 50 different brokerage accounts and everything. And well, how, you know, I, I, how did you even do that? How did you even do that in the 90s with your 486 computer? I mean, how'd you uh, phones. Phones, okay. Everything, that's, that's, everything was on phones. Like you'd have a big phone with 20 speed dials. Yep. And then see in the old days, like if I wanted to wipe out six bids, I'd take two phones. My partner would take two phones. And the guy on the other side of me would take two phones and be go. One, two, three, ready. And we'd all hit six market makers instantaneously to wipe out their bids. Oh, my right? God. Or to lift their offers to clean out their inventory, right? There are other things, too, like 
you know, if, if I'm trading a stock and I want to get people short, I'll put a market maker who doesn't have any call that doesn't have a lot of clients. I'll put them on the low offer and then I'll auto execute all the big ones off of his offer, clean out their inventories, lift his offer and then jam the market up. See, so, so this is, this is, you know, and, and this is where Stephen, so, so Stephen and I are obviously retail traders. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we, we, really focus on low floats. Okay. That's a, it's kind of our niche, you know, low floats in a hot sector with a day one type press release. Now what's different between him and I is I used to be, you know, I used to try and short these and, and, mm-hmm. and did it for years. And then I felt like a market shift in like 2016. So now I'm almost exclusively looking to play the squeeze when I see that float rotating, you know, 10 mm-hmm. times, a hundred times, and because I think I recognized a, a change in the market. Now, Steven shorts those and, and does well at it because he's so good at, you know, at, at sticking to stop losses and stuff. But, uh, yeah. but, you know, you know, what is, you know, and, and that's why Kim brought you on as the they, because Steven and I talk about this a lot is, you know, we see this, <laughs> like you said, you've got that, you know, that, that sketchy stock that's, that's bullshit press release that's jammed up in, in the, in pre-market pulls at the open and then rips back. Is that the, they, I mean, is, is is that, yes. Okay. So here, here's the thing in the pre-market, what we do, if you guys know what a box is box in a trade, like box of trade. Yeah. No, the box account. No, that's the the account that runs the stock. Okay. Okay. Um, Usually it's the deal guys or a group of deal guys and it's the cash and the stock are in those accounts. So what happens is, in the pre-market, I will bid the market up. You guys will come, right? This is called a gap and trap. So we gap the market up, right? Right. We gap it. We sell it. I like the sounds of this. Right. And we hold it up just to, we hold the market up just to sell it to you. Right. Now, once like we have a saying, when the ducks are quacking, feed them. So you guys come, (laughs) we feed you. Then when you're overstuffed, we pull the bid and that's the trap. And then, take out all your stops, buy it all back. That up and down motion cashes up the box. So now we have all your stock and all your cash. (laughs) So we've made a little bit of money. Now what we do is we cut supply. And then that second run starts, right? And then we'll sell into that gently. Now, if it's a good, what I say, my book is called, the one I'm writing is called Proper Villains. And I'll say, if it's a good criminal, they'll take their time and they'll feather the selling out. The, the long con, as they say. Right? Yeah. Well, you know the story about the two bulls, right? Every, yep. The story yep. about the two bulls is, is the first thing you learn on a trade desk, right? Yep. When you have all the money and, and, and all And Steve, the... Steven's the young bull and I'm the old bull. You know? Right? <laughs> and you know the so saying, just, right? right? You, know? You, know the, you know the saying, Steven? Yeah, I, I get it. But look, every everything that you're saying and all of the, the words that you're using, we just have different words. So like, we know your game. We don't know the intricacies. We don't know how you do it. But mm-hmm. we know that we're like, they are soaking. Like there's soaking going on. Someone's soaking the stock. Someone's holding the price. This is going to go parabolic. They're going to soak, soak, soak and send it parabolic soon. Um, or, or for example, we'll know that it's run up, run up, run up, and then someone will pull the rug. So as, as retail traders, we have like the same words, but different yeah. things. We yeah, yeah. Out. I mean, I, I talk manipulator ease, right? And I, I try and try and, uh, you know, translate that to retail. But yeah, so we'll, we'll, that move in the pre-market cashes us up. 
It allows us to hold the bid at higher prices and make it go parabolic, like you say. When it goes parabolic, retail just comes running, right? They just chase because human beings chase price, <laughs> right? Just like they'll stand in line to buy an iPhone, right? It's just human behavior, right? So when you chase price, we fill you. Now, if the stock has any kind of supply at all, I mean, we'll, we'll start filling, but if there is really no supply and the thing actually is not being run properly, it can just keep going and going and going. But most of these deals now, the way the market is structured, most of these deals either have a convertible debenture or an institutional holder or an offshore holder that has a sizable position and they will liquidate into that buying, right? We always sell into strength. Yep. Yeah, but ju just just to clarify, so so you kind of you'll pull the supply and then you'll ignite the fire, get the demand going, get the retailers interested. You've already pulled yeah. the supply, so it's easy to push that stock higher. Exactly. You'll get the retailers to chase it, chase exactly. it, chase it. Then when it's really just too good to be true, boom! You boom. hit that selling. You put that you put that supply back in the market, and yeah. all of a sudden you guys take. Yeah, and and it's the thing it's is beautiful. I want to be on your side. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a great thing. And see, I mean, I used to do this all the time. I used to see, always remember when someone's desperate to sell, you must take advantage of them. So what I would do, see, in the old days, we would have these pirate market making firms, right? There was a, a firm called Fierro Brothers, who were a notorious short seller. The guy used to wear a, a bulletproof vest of work. Because oh, my God. Right. We had all guys short, like this. all short sellers should wear a bulletproof vest. Right. <laughs> so this is back when we were allowed to naked short. So what I would do is if I knew that there was a Vancouver promoter who had a crappy deal and I didn't like the guy say or he was a dirtbag. Right. <laughs> so they've got a deal and they're paying for promotion. Right. I know that the guy can't trade his way out of a wet paper bag. So I call Knight and I go show me bids. So he'll go, hey, JJ, I can pay a hundred thousand. I can pay a dollar or the bid for 100,000 shares. So I go, great, I'll sell you 100,000 at 96 or 97 cents. He makes four grand for making the call, right? And then I'll say, get get the hell out of the way, right? Or I'll flash 666 on the offer, right? <laughs> then my guys know to get the hell out of the way. And then I, <laughs> I will sense. beat the holy living crap out of that stock from 97 cents down to 60 cents. The people who are on the other side of the deal in Vancouver, because they're not used to trading OTCBB stocks, have no idea what's going on, right? So I knock it down to 60 cents, and then I'll send another market maker to the promoter's trader and say, listen, I can pay you 65 cents for 100,000. They'll sell it because they got that stock for free. Yeah. So now I've made 40 cents on 100,000 shares for 20 minutes work. Now, now can... do a, you know, you know, one of the mechanics things that, that I've never fully understand understood is like, you know, how do you, you know, and, and I don't want anything to do with any of this, but like, <laughs> <laughs> how does, how does someone obtain this, this paper? You know, is this like, is this in like shady back rooms no. over lines of Coke or what? You know, no, like... no, 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 no. Usually it's at places like Peter Luger or okay. uh, yep. Smith Lensky. Here's what happens, right? When I first started in, in, in this advertising business um, that the little uh, Bullwinkle guy got me a job at, uh, the, you know, we had all these public companies and, and I didn't know. And I said to my boss, I said, hey, chief, I said, which one of these deals should I buy? Like, you know, you know, which one can I make money on? He looked at me and he said, JJ, you don't buy stock. You sell it. 
Right. <laughs> right. And I'm like, okay, well, how the hell do you sell it if you don't buy it? He goes, that, there you go. That's kind of where I was headed. Yeah. yeah. You get it given to you. Okay. Okay. People would pay me. Sometimes people would pay me a million shares to work on a deal for three weeks. JJ, can you help me trade this out? Mm-hmm. It's 20 cent paper. Here's a million shares, right? Help me out while I get rid of this. Help me move this out. Help me trade it out. And you know what? If you need more paper, just ask. It's 15 cents a pound, mm-hmm. right? See, the thing is, stock is just worthless paper, right? It's mm-hmm. not, you know, we try and put, you know, but at, and, under that $20 range, a lot of these companies, well, hell, even Uber, what did they lose? $4 billion, right? Usually that would be a bankruptcy filing. Now it's a public company, sure. right? Because we have cheap interest rates and people will buy anything, right? You know, when people are spending $400 million on Halloween costumes for their pets, you can sell them any worthless piece of crap stock. <laughs> Fair <right>? enough. <laughs> Come on. I mean, seriously, the, the, the economy is awash in cheap money, mm-hmm. right? So... People are taking advantage of that. I mean, could you imagine walking into JP Morgan's office and saying, I've got a unicorn I want to take public? Right. He, he would beat you until you bled to death, right? Yeah, I mean, totally unprofitable you know, company. Yeah. yeah, yeah so. Let's take this public, right? So, you know, th- that's the thing. Uh, and, and that was a tough thing for me when I became a retail trader because I was addicted to free stock, <laughs> right? It's the worst yeah. addiction to have because... And deal guys, you know, they'd say they'd have two, three or four deals. And what they do is like, you know, oh, if you need 50 grand for the weekend, just pick up the phone and sell some stock. Wow. <laughs> right. That's that's how we talked. And my clients, uh, I never had a single retail client. So at the end of the day, my phone call was JJ. What was the volume? It was 10 million shares. How much did I sell? Three. OK, you know what to do on settlement. Wire the money here. See you. Click. That was it. So how, JJ, is it possible today if there is more regulation? Like, what, what are traders oh, up right. against yeah. today? What are they okay. up against today if it's not as Wild West anymore in okay. the United States? Yeah. You know, look, we have Canadian viewers, well, too, we, but probably we, a lot of U.S. No, no, viewers. No. They've regulated the markets, and now that under $10, $5 price range is very, very Disneyland family-friendly. Mm-hmm. Right. Compared to when I was trading, um, I find that there are a lot of ex uh, Goldman, ex Morgan Stanley, um, those guys who now have their own funds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a couple of deals that I traded not last Christmas and I haven't traded equities for a while because I just love the ES. It's it's just so much easier. Um, the. You know, uh, there was a couple of fund managers. They were ex Morgan Stanley. And then they went to Tiger Management, trained by Julian Roberts, and so now this, they have their own funds. So what I'll do is I'll look to see who owns the paper in these companies. And if they're good criminals, you can trade those stocks back and forth for months because they're long-term greedy, right? Mm. So even if you're a day trader, have a list of symbols by guys who are ex-Morgan, ex-Goldman, ex-whatever. Learn who's who in the zoo, Right. And then just trade their deals because if they're long-term greedy, they're they're gonna they're gonna you know they're gonna take the stock down, they're gonna clean the float out, then take it back up, right? Resell it, so and they're gonna work where, it out for two years. Th- this is where again you know, and I think this is where when Kim hears me talk about this, 
that's always been my suspicion that in and, and, and my next question is time frame because mm-hmm. you know you're you're when i talked about the they and 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 kim and steven would you know i've always talked about like it felt like like five years ago all of a sudden like real money came in to the penny stock type stuff and, and exactly change something changed exactly what so, happened? So was, these guys you're talking about, am I right that this was like 2015? Yes, exactly. And you know what this is? This is all. Yes. Be- this is all what because happened? of clearing. This is all because of clearing. Okay. Guys, I fucking knew it. He should so guys happy like, to have that confirmed, JJ. Guys <laughs> like me, we 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 can't clear stock anymore. I've got people trying to clear stock in South in in South Africa. Right, because U.S. brokerage firms don't take stock certificates, wow. so the only people who can do these deals are people who have prime brokerage accounts, that are the big money people. Now they're not BlackRock and stuff like that, but sure. what they are is, say you were working at Goldman and you were there ten years, they didn't make you partner, so they give you a goodbye gift gift of ten, fifteen million, right? Mm-hmm. You take that, you go open your own fund. You go to a prime broker, the prime broker will low, like raise you two, three hundred million. Then they'll leverage you up. Those guys are participating in these deals. If you read um, the buy side by Tony Duff, who's a buddy of mine and has threw my pen, right? The buy side. Uh, when he was I, working, I threw everything on my desk. But <laughs> so excited. He was, when he was working for Galleon and Argus, right? Two big hedge funds. They had the healthcare mafia. So all the healthcare mm-hmm. traders from all the funds would get together, have margaritas and get drunk, and then they'd slice up the deals. Read um, uh, Hedgehogging by Barton Biggs. Same thing, right? These guys, they get together, they slice up the pie, they take down chunks. We call it taking down a position. You take down a position and everybody sells together. Somebody backdoors you, they're not in on the next deal, right? But now you have big, sophisticated money who are long-term greedy, who are taught properly how to be proper villains, they're in the market now. That's why you have stocks. Look at NIO. Look at these deals that are trading, right? You know, they're proper villains. They're good criminals. They know they know how to do it. Is that JKS JK, you beat me. Well, we, we, <laughs> we said it at the same time. And, and, and JJ, maybe, I don't know, maybe you remember JKSG or don't. That stock no. was, that stock was, it was like two months ago. Yeah, it was still. green every fucking day for like 40 days. Well, yeah, I, you know. I'll show you something. I'll show you something. There's, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to show it, but there was a deal that I did for a client where we didn't have a down day in two years. <laughs> um, and it actually got written up by Bloomberg. But, but you know what you do though? You give it a first red day. And then the next you day, you just gap that shit off. You just yeah. gap it off after your first round. Yeah. But, but can I can I just ask? So for retail traders, is it? It's not. Is it? Would you say it's retail versus retail, or is it just retail versus day? No, okay. Well, the thing is, you've got to understand. There's somebody taking the other side of your trade. They they paid your brokerage house to take the other side of your trade. They are trading against your order flow. So, for example. You trade at Ameritrade or Scott Trade or one of these places or E-Trade, your order goes to Citadel, right? If you're buying a thousand shares of ABC and they don't have a thousand shares, they will short it to you, right? That is their business model. It is called providing liquidity. Otherwise, what would happen was if you went to buy a $5 stock and there was no market maker providing liquidity, you'd get a hundred at five, a hundred at 520, 
100 at 530, 100 at 550, and 100 at 6, because there'd be nobody that willing to sell right. it to you. Right. So shorting to retail is one of the most misunderstood concepts that retail traders have and don't know anything about. The market maker's job is to short to you. He's not doing it because it's malicious. He's doing it so you can get your stock at the price you want. Now, that entails risk, right? So the market maker is at risk on that stock, and he has to go to the bid to cover. Now, they do yeah. this millions of times a day, and this is why Citadel made $3 billion when the markets <laughs> crashed in March. And this is why Ken Griffin can buy $200 million condos like we buy a chocolate bar, right? <laughs> because you're providing liquidity and Citadel and Virtue are the two largest market makers in the world, Susquehanna too. They get the lion's share of all the order flow, right? They have massive inventories um, and retail traders should know what an inventory is because you eventually become inventory. Like right now in the S&P 500 ES, inventory is long. Right. So when inventory is long and there's no upside continuation, the market maker who is selling the stock up there to you or whatever, they're going to pull the bids, run the stops, get everybody out and then take the market back up again later. Right. So you have to understand the mechanics of the business model. And then there's sometimes like in chop choppy trade means it's a washing machine. Yep. We're trying to build a position. So we're, you know, we're cleaning up, cleaning down. It's like a vacuum cleaner. See, and that's right. where, you know, and, and this, this will, the listeners know, and this is what, I, you know, this is visually for me, when I'm talking this low floater, that's, and, and I know this is kind of more degenerate day trader talk than what you have, but, you know, that's when I'm always looking at that, that VWAP hugging action, I call it. Yeah. Like all, all through the day, it's just up, it's below, it's up, it's below, it's up below. Cause I just, I just imagine them, you know, building this. And yeah. then we see that late day yeah. blow up and then yeah. they sell into it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Cause all the thing is now, for example, for the last couple of months, people are wondering why the market's not going down. Well, cause BlackRock's not selling, right? right? <laughs> Vanguard's not selling, but here's the thing. If you had, look, what, what's the daily volume on Apple today? 52 million shares. You go try and sell 200, 200 million shares of Apple today. You'll take the stock to five bucks. Right. The market's not, it's, it's, we don't have liquid markets in the United States, right? You couldn't sell if, if Vanguard came out of 10% of their position, Sure, the stock would be would, good luck holding five, right? So that's, and those, because they, you know, the thing is we used to have a trick when you got a deal, right? You want to get a bank or a fund so long that they can't sell. You just load well, them up with, that, you that, stuff that, them with so much paper right that that's the old saying so you know if, if 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 you owe if you owe the bank a million bucks they Bingo. owe you if the bank if, if, if you if the bank owes, or if you owe the bank a hundred yeah. million you own the bank <laughs> you, own, you own them baby right there was a there was a deal called Canwest, and the guys they were these rounders from Vancouver and they'd never done well. And they finally figured out they got bank of Montreal. So long, this thing, <laughs> they took the stock from a buck to $20 and they, all of them made $300 million and everyone was happy. Um, and you know, it's just cause you've got a bank so, so long that they can't sell the crap right now. <laughs> so that's the, the model of the U S markets now. So 
what happens is the only movement caused in say the S&P is by wholesale moving the position back and forth. That's all it is, right? Mm -hmm. It's inside volume. On a stock, it'll all be inside volume if it's institutionally held, especially if those institutions are holding for 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. But if those are short-term players, then you're going to get more movement and more selling, right? Like, you know, like NKLA, right? You know, we've got a guy in our room who's, you know, who's been around the block and knows those boys and knows how they trade it out. And, you know, we all kind of work together at the same time. So you can look at deals and you can look, ah, okay, they're going to take it up here. And the way my market profile works, um, you guys got to come check it out because you can, you can call levels to the tick, right? To the penny. And it's not just me. It's, it's just because it's the transactions, right? If you know, um, you know, you know where things are going. You know that if price accepts over a certain level, it's going to go here. If it rejects that level, it's going to come back to the next level. And that really, um, you know, that really, really helps people. It keeps the hardest thing for people to do is to keep a clear head because they don't know what's going on. But if you know, like for NIO, I knew that once it went to 54.42, it would look above. And if it failed 54.42, it was a short. Right. And it was all the way down to 4018 and even lower. And then once it couldn't get lower than 4018, you knew it was going to come back up to 43 and 45, which it just did. Right. So my so, my my question for you and this is. Yeah. And then and then Stephen, go, you're next. Um, you know, what is you know, and, and we mentioned a bunch of books, but, you know, what it, what are your like top tips for because because listen, and, and this is no offense to any of our listeners. I'm guessing a lot of this way over their heads. So how do you, how do you, what are your resources? What are your advice to, okay. to the listener? Uh, that's like, Whoa, this guy's talking about shit. I don't even know. You know, where what? do they, where do they go? Where do they begin? <laughs> yeah. well, you know what? They could just DM me. And what one, one of these days, because a lot of the stuff I talk about is not written in books that have been written in the last hundred years. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we had Jack Schweiger on the show last night. And some of the things I said, he looked at me like, you know, because he's, he's been around real traders who trade real money. I had to trade, I had to make a billion dollar market, but I only had 10 grand to do it with. <laughs> so I had to find my way around the rules, right? I was always making a silk purse out of a sow's ear, right? So, you know, you know, the tricks of like DTC, for example, if I wanted to find out, say if I was short, right? Say we're short something, right? What I do is, in the old days, they used to have block guys who would shop discounted blocks. So if we're short something at six bucks, I'd get one of my guys to call him and say, hey, somebody's shopping 2 million shares of this at a 30% discount. So they would all start shorting it, and then we could cover. <laughs> right? Steven, right? what are you going to say? You look like you have a question. I'm I'm just a little bit blown away by it all. Like I think most most of the listeners will be as well. right there with you, brother. <laughs> um, I'm blown I'm blown away by the honesty and 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 thank you for that. But uh, I mean I I don't really have a question. I'm just trying to piece things together in my mind because I've been told a lot of information. But it just it all makes sense. But it's like to be a good day trader, it's almost like you need to learn the market tricks. That's that's all I can kind of see. You need you to learn, learn the what business. the manipulators are doing. It's just the business, right? Mm -hmm. Right. See, if you wanted to be a doctor, if you wanted to be a brain surgeon, right? 
wouldn't you want to know basic anatomy? <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird though because we don't get told to look here though. Like you get told to check the exactly. floats, check the volume, and this. But yeah. like, there's so many floats, and I'm like, this is high flow. Why did it just run thirty percent? Ah, now I know someone's holding the supply bar, and it, yeah. it's the trick, people. Yeah, you know the thing is, um, especially um, what is enlightening is I read, I, I was introduced to Jim Dalton early in my retail trading clear. Because what happened with me is in 2012, um, I had some really, <laughs> I had uh, my best friend who was like a brother to me, um, got me into a lot of trouble, stole like almost, almost, you know, 10 and, um, and a lot of stock. And, uh, you know, we were doing deals and he went to the dark side and uh, he ended up actually, um, making billions, but very, very, very illegally. And um, <laughs> I got into a lot of trouble. Um, I had a heart attack in 2012. Um, I went into the hospital. My blood pressure was 280 over something. The nurse almost fell over. <laughs> um, they started working on me and I died. And uh, I was dead for about four minutes. That was a really beautiful experience. Nothing wrong with it. And when I came back to life, I kind of went, do I really want to do this anymore? Mm. Right. And so I thought, okay, you know, I'll trade retail. How hard can it be? Well, here I am with a ton of bad habits. Right. <laughs> and I'm trading retail and I'm trading like a market. Yeah, cause, maker. Cause and, every time you're I... upside down, you can't just call your buddy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Back, back in the old what? days, if I was, if I had a losing position, I just picked up the phone. Yeah. <laughs> and somebody would take it off of me. Right? I'm like, what is this loss? So I, I was really cheap. So I started trading just really, really small and I lost like 300 bucks and nothing I did worked. Right. Uh -huh. Then I started looking at these candles and you have dojis and emojis and pregnant women and this and that. And oh my God, what the hell? Abandoned babies. I, Abandoned baby is always yeah, my favorite I'm like, candle. I'm like, what is this? And then Fibonacci, which would be a really cool name. Next lifetime, I'm coming back with that last name. <laughs> right? Hey, I'm Fibonacci. You know? I'm a very extravagant man. But hmm. no, and so I, I didn't know what to do. And so I went to, to Tasty Trade and thank God, Peter Resnicek and... Uh, Brad Agunas were on there, the shadow trader boys, and they had these market profile charts. And I've been around the market. Listen, my first deal I worked on was Briex Minerals. Ever seen the movie Gold? Um, mm. You know, uh, with Matthew McConaughey? Well, that was the first deal. Oh, I've, I've seen it, yeah. I've seen that, yeah. Right? Right? My yeah. client had 5 million shares from 30 cents to 280 bucks. That's how he made his first 300 million. And it was all great until somebody fell out of a helicopter. But anyway... <laughs> Um, that'll so happen. That'll happen. Looking... You know, <laughs> it does happen. Uh, you know, so <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god!" I, I felt like an idiot, right? I can manipulate a stock to three hundred dollars, but I can't day trade one mm. measly ES contract. So I found uh, Resnicek. I found these market profile charts, which looked like hieroglyphics from like some alien world. And I was like, what the hell is this? But one thing I noticed about those two is they were so calm, mm. right? Because I had had a heart attack. And when I started trading retail, I would get this heart palpitation, mm. right? Because I get stressed out over 50 bucks because I'm cheap, <laughs> right? Because yeah. it's my money, right? If it's yeah. not OPM, you know, totally. I'm cheap. If it's not other people's <laughs> money, I'm not wasting my money, right? <laughs> so I'm like, 
okay, so I start following these guys, and then they led me to Jim Dalton. And I went, finally, somebody who's teaching trading who's actually been a trader. Like, this mm. guy wasn't a waiter, now he has a trading room, right? He was director of floor operations on the CME. He's 80 years old. The guy used to eat lunch with Fisher Black from Black Shoals, right? He's, wow. you know, he brought market profile to the world from Peter Stadelmeyer. So I'm like, okay. And he talked like the old floor traders who taught me the business, right? So I was like, I felt comfortable. Mm. And I started looking at that. But it was kind of hard to learn. And he assumed... And I went, you know what, if I could take this and I could make it a little easier for the regular person to look at and simplify this. Um, and that's what I've been trying to do with Steve and Ray for the last you know, year and a couple of months now. And try and, and not, trading is simple. It's not easy. Right. But uh, we do have a, the, we have the thing to overcomplicate everything, mm-hmm. you know. And if you know that if you're looking for supply and there's no supply, well, there's no short really and the levels will tell you right uh the way i have my charts set up will tell you exactly where the supply is where it's coming from and where it's going and what their intentions are and it's just focusing right now the tough thing i find with retail training equities is you're trading something different every day and i must say i tip my hat to those guys because that's why i like trading the es it's like being married or, you know, you have your girlfriend, you know, when it's upset, when it's like, you know, the market, right? You guys who trade a different stock every day, I, I uh, you know, especially like I trade something different every day if I controlled it. But <laughs> on the retail side, you know, well, I, I but th- you, you might be surprised. I mean, a lot of this stuff, I mean, we're talking, you know, we, we have this, you know, this low price penny stock, you know, we call them the former runners and stuff. A lot of the times, it's only a few hundred stocks. I mean, which I know is a yeah. lot more than one instrument like you're doing. But it's a lot. I mean, I've again, I've been doing this for 15 years, and there's it's the same. A lot of times, it's the same. What's what's funny about though is is what I've been doing for a couple of years of trading is every time I trade a chart, uh, I'll just save the chart. So oh. then the next time I see it, it, a stock pop up or it gaps up on a scan, different ticker, I'll, same chart. I'll, no, well, but I'll tape that ticker into my computer to be like, oh, have I traded this before? Because like, we trade hundreds of stocks whenever I know. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, I'll say, ah, they ran it up last time and then they dumped it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll probably just let them run it up again and I'll wait. And yeah. I'll, I'll, short that, I'll short that dump. Because you guys right. do the same thing with the same stocks, the same times, right? But yeah. Again and again. Right. Especially if it's the same deal crew. Right. Yeah, but- because a lot of stocks will trade the personality of the person who owns all the stock. That's what a lot of people don't know. Right. See, I used to build charts. Right. I never traded them, but I build them to make you guys come. Right. <laughs> so for me, a chart is like a party invitation. Right. I like that. You know, it's like, come, come. I give you a good price. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. You know what? It pains me to do it. And I'm going to get in trouble, but I'll sell it to you at 50, yeah. right? And then two days later, oh, no, my friend, you know, it's 35. You know, <laughs> I wish I could take it from you. you it's know, like, but, it's oh. like the umbrella salesman in New York City, $3. If it's not raining, as soon as it's raining, $5. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, but, it, but it's, it's like it reminds us of EARS, E-A-R-S, yesterday. It went from one to six. And I'm like, 
how did that go from one to six on a, a, a study with no announced numbers? Like there was no, okay. no it was 98% effective, but there was no numbers. And I was like, that's okay. not true. Here's, here's what you guys also need to find. And this is another reason why I don't show my face. Okay. Do you guys know that fund managers buy large positions in illiquid stocks so they can mark up their portfolios at the end of the month, right? I do know that exists. I don't know how to find it, I have to admit. You know? Okay, well, a lot of this illiquid stuff that you see that runs from one to six, it's because, well, the thing is, we, we see, my guys, we, we, we would, like, we sell it to them, right? Here's our deal, right? It's subpenny crap, but you can run it up to a nickel, and it looks good percentage-wise. Why don't you ah, right. buy the float, right? Yeah. So we have a guy, like, one of our guys is an ex-Morgan Stanley fund manager, and we sold him five deals well, I don't anymore because I'm retired, but my ex-partner, Big Polly, did, uh, sold him five deals that he could use to mark up his portfolio. Had a little trouble getting it past the trustee but of the fund, but, you know, a little massage and, you know, you know that kind of thing, you know, you, know, you, you kind of work the angles and maybe, you know, <laughs> get the guy a new Mercedes. Sure. But whatever has to be done, um, you know, and you <laughs> so you get the funds and now what they'll do is, because you know that everything is performance related, right? So all your all your compensation on Wall Street is performance related. This month is not a month to be shorting stocks because these guys right. are going to be marking stuff up so they get sure. their performance bonus. They want their bonus, right? Bonus time. That, guess what? I bet you every screensaver on every desk is that new Ferrari Roma, <laughs> right? <laughs> Right. Those don't come cheap. Girlfriends don't come cheap. You know, timeshares in the Hamptons don't come cheap. Private jets. You know, I have friends of mine whose children have never flown commercial. Yep. You know, it's just it's a weird, whacked out world. These guys, they need a hundred grand a month just to make their nut. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know, their, basic, they, their base expenses. You know, because they're living like, you know, they're they're just living like this is groceries. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's why they've got to mark up these markets. That's that's why a lot of stock will run at the end of a quarter, definitely at your end. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's when not to be short. And if you read the buy side with Turney, he would say that he would come in on on a Thanksgiving because he knew nobody was around. And he could rip the stuff. <laughs> well, we've right? always thought of that in the day trade community. We always look yeah. for those crazy Thanksgiving week runners. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it happens every week, every year. Yeah. Yeah. So. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's the business. JJ. JJ. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah. a couple more questions. We do. Uh, I'm tight on schedule. We got to record no another problem. podcast. I, I'll let Kim and Steven finish. Cause I'm the king of interrupting, but would man, I got like a million things to, to, to digest. So would love to have you back. Cause I'd love to I got, be back. And, and this is, a, this is I a think compliment. You should be a co-host. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is the compliment. And then I'll shut up. I got more fucking questions now than before the podcast. That's good. That's a good thing. That's, That's good. good. Well, it's good. You know what? I see the thing with me is I thought everybody knew this stuff. And for decades, I thought I had a head full of useless information. <laughs> right. And like nobody wants to know this. Everybody knows we're doing this. Right. I didn't know. Right. So, and yeah, I'll I, got let Kim under... and I, I yeah. just want to thank you. And again, oh, man, thank would, you so much. Love to great. have you back when I have some love time. to. to yeah. Yeah. So go ahead, Kim. Steven, and thank you, JJ. So go ahead. My Steven. pleasure. Yeah, like I, I just my question is, and this is because my biggest losses in trading have been in sub pennies. Um, 
I don't say you guys, but they are famous for letting a stock kind of pop 30, 40, 50%. So penny history of failing, dwindles, dwindles, dwindles. Then out of nowhere, first minute of the opening, you get 10 million on the opening candle and it goes 100%. So like my question is, I know that you're doing that and it's obvious, but but what, what, when do you stop and why do you stop? Because I see, I see oh. you guys pulling the plug at 10, 30, 11 and then riding it back down 100%. So, like, is there a deal with the time or something? Oh, um, it's it's just usually at that time the buying runs out, right? We'll hold it up as long as we can to sell it, <laughs> right? And it's like they say, <laughs> when the ducks are quacking, feed them. But sometimes yeah. we tend to overfeed the ducks, <laughs> right? And they start gorging on the paper. <laughs> so you got to pull the bids, right? And then they need a good bowel movement, and then we get back in there. But here's the thing with sub pennies, right? You got to understand that when you're buying that sub penny paper, there's someone like me who has a billion shares of it. A billion. A billion. A billion. And it's in the Cayman Islands. (laughs) Okay. Or it's in Nevis or it's in, you know, I'll just ask one more question. How much can we trust float? If if you guys are buying Uh, up the supply all the time, how much can we trust float? Good question. On real stocks, you can trust it. On that OTC market stuff, man, just be careful. The thing is, here's the thing about penny stocks. Now you can actually run scans to find lower price companies that have institutional ownership. Here's a trick. When you trade, trade the stuff where you see that there are good criminals that own chunks of the float. Good criminals. Right? (laughs) Right? Don't, you know, and, and look and, you know, start looking at, okay, you know, this group, this fund and this fund and this fund, they run together because these guys hunt in packs, mm-hmm. right? And they'll take down six or seven deals. And what you want to do is have those deals on your radar. So when they start clicking, you know, ah, the paper route's starting, right? And that's, and that way you kind of get to know who the players are. Like those guys, H.C. Wainwright, right? Those guys all the time. Underwriters of dilution. Oh my God, those guys are like McDonald's. Billions and billions served, right? I mean, it's it's like Roth Capital back in the day, right? I remember Roth Capital. Oh my God, those guys with their offices in Newport Beach at Fashion Island. What a time we had there, just because it was across from Pimco, right? (laughs) Oh, you know, uh, I'm telling you, uh, these guys they 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 live large. Those those guys who underwrite deals. I used to have a client called the Antichrist. And uh, he was ex um, Drexel Burnham, and he was at the X desk with, with Milken. This guy was sharp, man. What he would do is he'd do convertible floorless debentures on these companies, and we'd start out at twenty dollars, right? And you guys know this, right? So if, say, Stephen owns a company, he's the CEO, he needs to raise ten million. Uh, he lets it be known. Um, Tim is the financier. He calls me up. He goes, JJ, ABCD start leaning on it. So I short the thing down to 10, right? Then Tim goes to, to Steve and he goes, oh yeah, I can give you, you know, 5 million bucks, no problem. But you know, your stock's looking pretty crappy. Uh, how about I give you $5 million? It's 10 right now. I'll give you $5 million at six bucks, right? So he gets $6 paper. We cover our short. Then I rip it the other way and he sells that stock into it. <laughs> right, and that's how I learned how to hide a short position in Switzerland for a year. 
JJ, I mean, we just, have. Go ahead. Did you you want to follow up, Stephen? No, no. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I wonder how good a short I would be following your methods of trading if I managed to be a short, not knowing your methods of trading and fighting against you guys and winning. I wonder how good I'd be on your side. Hey, listen. <laughs> Maybe there's a job offer there somewhere. Any any time, any time. You know what? You look like you're young and you got a healthy heart. I'll train you. <laughs> JJ, thank you so much. I'm so thank glad Tim so wants much. to have you back on. I had a feeling that that would be the case. Uh, even though some of this is going over my head, I am definitely, uh, you know, been hearing. Well, even as, a, even as a layman, this. Kim, you just got to appreciate the nicknames. Absolutely. Uh, just the nicknames alone. <laughs> Fat Polly, was that his name? No, it's Big Polly. We had Big, Big Polly, bloated, we had bloated Gary, uh, <laughs> bloated Bubblehead. Uh, uh, JJ. <laughs> I mean, the stories, the stories are amazing. Reese, tell me that your stories have been amazing. I learned a couple of them uh, recently, but today you've just like blown all our minds. I can see everybody's processing. I'm processing. So we definitely have to have you back on. But okay. thank you so much for being so honest and straight from the hip and from uh, being willing to change your life. I'm glad that you uh, decided to be a contribution to retail traders now well, because you know, I think we, we need you over here. I, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful to be alive. Uh, I've had a lot of people who helped me when I was down. Uh, you know, uh, I have a, you know, if not for the kindness of strangers, I wouldn't be alive today. So trying to give something back, trying to help. And I'm, I'm having a great time doing this. This is, I don't, you know, what I do every day, I don't consider work. It's fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not yelling at people and screaming at people and, yeah. you know, talking to lawyers all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a lot, lot more calm. So this is, stressful. this has been amazing. We'll have you back again, everybody. Thank you for listening to this. I, I can only imagine the comments we're going to have on YouTube after this, Tim. <laughs> But please let us know what you think of these uh, podcasts. Please ask your questions there and then we can have JJ back on to answer them. So thank you for watching the Steady Trade podcast. Thank you, JJ, for coming on as our guest. Uh, Tim Bowen, Stephen Johnson, and me, Kim Ann Curtin, are saying a hooey ho for now. Aloha.